broadband internet service providers in real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. That is Jordan. And that over there is Carlin. And it's my turn. Yeah, your turn. It's my turn this time. Cool, because you picked a good movie. I'm, I picked a movie not from 2010, yes. like Jordan likes to do, but from 2013, so very recent offering, Yes, uh, a film called Don John. Don John. Don John is the very first writer-director-starring vehicle for Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, he's a, an actor that I think we've talked about a few times on the podcast before. I'm not 100% sure. Have we reviewed any movies with him in it? Uh, not that I can recall, but we may have. I know we've mentioned several of the movies that he's been in. Yes, yeah, we've uh, definitely mentioned him. Don John is, like I said, his first movie that he's uh, that he directed himself. He wrote the script, which is interesting because it's a very it's a very fascinating and well developed script for a first time film writer. Well, he had a lot of time with the script. He started notes for the script in two thousand eight. Really? Yes, and then over time has st- started writing it and everything. Apparently, he talked with Christopher Nolan a bunch too when yeah. he was working on, I guess, Inception and the Batman uh, <laughs> stuff, mm-hmm. um, and. Nolan was kind of giving him some advice Script writing things. Advice. One of the big things that Nolan said to him is, uh, I gotta warn you, don't act in it if you're going to write and direct it. But he decided to go against that. Honestly, if I were him, knowing who Christopher Nolan is and what he's done, I would have been like, to him? I'm like, yes, Mr. Nolan, anything you say, Mr. Nolan, you are a genius. Oh, yeah, no. I think I think one thing that you could say about this movie is that it could almost be subtitled with a little help from my friends. Yeah. You know, because there's there's no way that, a, like, a filmmaker who was just getting started off, like, um, to compare this to Clerks, you know, Clerks is all, all of uh, Smith's friends and everything like that. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that all of these people are Joseph Gordon-Levitt's friends, too. But when you have friends like Scarlett Johansson and Julianne Moore and Tony Danza, then the film is going to come together. Tony Danza. <laughs> Tony Danza. Well, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and talk about the particulars of the film, and then we'll we'll go ahead and dive into this. So the Netflix summary: John Martello's romantic exploits are legendary among his friends, but his obsession with online porn saps his enthusiasm for real sex. It sure does. It sure does. It sure does. And like we said, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, is the the director, writer, and star of this particular film. Uh, he's done a lot of a lot of good movies. Um, he's a child actor who actually turned out well, which is not something that you can say for a ton of them. Yeah. Um, but he he's still doing a lot of smart smart films and and making a lot of smart choices with his cinematography uh, and career. Um, some films that he's been in. These films are, I pulled them exclusively from Netflix. So if you want to go see like some different examples of his work, you can go directly to these films. The Juror, The Road Killers, and Treasure Planet. Um, Treasure Planet is animated, so he does the voice work for that. Cool. Um, and also, Treasure Planet is a really good, underrated movie uh, overall. I, I really enjoyed it. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Some other films that he's been in that are not currently on Netflix... Um, Brick, we've mentioned that a lot. Awesome, awesome film. Yeah, and also Looper. Looper was a pretty good one. Yeah, we were. We, both of those are some are films that 
I really enjoyed. Like I said, uh, some of his co-stars in this movie, Scarlett Johansson. Actually, I'm sorry, real quick. Yes. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's going to be in the next Sin City film that's supposed to come out this year. If you're listening to this podcast well in the future, this is 2014. Yeah. When we're recording this. Right. So, uh, the new Sin City's A Dame to Kill For, and I'm going to be honest, I watched the trailer. I really like the first Sin City. I watched the trailer for the second one, and I'm not excited. It doesn't look all that good. Um, we'll see. I don't but know. But the fact that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in it, that I mean, might, I'm that, probably going to see it. Yeah. Sin City isn't a, a franchise that I ever, ever really got into. I've never been a big fan of Frank Miller, okay. uh, and he's the comic book artist, writer, who did 300 and also Sin City. So, just because I was never a fan of his comic book work, I've never really gotten into his his film work. But, again, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a star that I, I like to watch as much of his work as I can. Uh, so I might, I might look into his, that film just to see what's going on there. Um, Scarlett Johansson was uh, his, his love interest, Barbara Sugarman. That, great last name for that, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And she's been in a lot of things. A couple of films that she's in that are available on Netflix include The Avengers. Uh, she, she plays Black, the Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff, in The, in the Avengers. Which we reviewed, yes. so if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to that yep, one. Yeah, that's, a, few, that's that, a couple months back now at yeah. this point, but it was a really good movie. Um, she was also in a movie called Scoop. Uh, she's done some work also with Woody Allen, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and she was also Match Point was she in Match Point Match Point I believe was the one the one that I was thinking she was in um, I haven't seen it but me neither uh, but then she's also in tying this back again to Christopher Nolan she had a, a, a pretty big part in The Prestige okay I haven't seen it still need to yeah and she most recently was in oh maybe not most recently but pretty recent was in that movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix that got a lot of acclaim. She actually just did voice. I very nearly she played his computer. Yeah. I very nearly watched that a couple a couple weeks ago, but um, I was homesick from the office. Um, so I'm like, I really want to see this movie, but it looks like it's too cerebral for me right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, when you're sick it's a little yeah hard to watch movies with like thinking content. I wound up watching American Hustle instead and was a little disappointed. Yeah, that's a disappointing film. In my opinion. I saw it in the theater. I was disappointed. Yeah. That's um, fine. It, it, it's worth the $2 rental, but it's not, not much beyond that. It's overhyped is the issue. Yeah, yeah really it is. Uh, the, another big actress in this film, uh, completing the, the love triangle in the movie, is Julianne Moore. She's done some great stuff. She has done some great stuff. She was in The Hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in a movie called The English Teacher, um, and she was in. I, I'm not sure if it's a science fiction movie or a thriller or a horror. I'm not exactly sure what it is. It's a movie about children who are disappearing called The Forgotten. Okay, I'd um, like to check that out. Yeah, and that's and that's actually streaming on Netflix. And she was in a movie that I love, Boogie Nights. Yes, Boogie that Nights, is an awesome film. So she's 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 got a, a really great resume, um, and if if you're not a if you're not keen to Julianne Moore's work then really if what's wrong with you was, yeah I mean <laughs> come on uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt picks her as, as one of uh, to be a part of his project so that's speaking something about it right there I wanted to give a little insight oh were you going to talk about Tony Danza well Tony Danza's Tony Danza <laughs> I mean what more needs to be said I'm going to be honest it felt really good when I was watching the movie and he pops up on screen and I'm like I'm glad he's working again yeah because he didn't get a lot of work for about 10 years 
And I'll tell you, he's in good shape. Yeah, he, he looked really good in the movie. He's 63, and he does not look 63 in that film. He looks early 50s at best. Exactly. He Tony Danza, you're working out, you're staying in shape, you look good, dude, and you did a great job with, with your acting in the film. So yeah. Good job, Tony Danza. Considering that all of his acting happened around a dining room table and in a church. Yeah. I mean, he nailed what he was supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, Tony Danza, good guy. Anyway, uh, a little extra info about the behind the scenes with this film. It was rated R. Originally, it was rated NC-17 because of all the pornography clips that are in it. There was some more graphic stuff. Yeah, and I, I, I can really... I could, I honestly think an NC-17 would not be unwarranted for this particular movie. No, it wouldn't be. But they you know, cut a bunch of the more... The more uh, graphic stuff. Graphic things, yeah. And so they got it down to an R. Um, another behind-the-scenes thing about the film is that originally, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was not going to act in it. Really? And he wanted to use Channing Tatum to play that character that he played. Um, but then when Scarlett Johansson signed on, he decided he wanted to do it. So I question, is it because he was like, man, I want to have love scenes, with Scarlett Johansson, I can't fault him for that. Honestly, if that's the case, neither can I. But I'm just, I'm just wondering what the, what the deal was. Well, there. Channing Tatum does have a cameo in the movie, along with Anne Hathaway. Did he? Yeah, I, I don't remember either of them. In there. Um, they were on the posters, the posters, um, so oh. hard, so fast, oh, right, and right, special right. someone. And You're then right. there's that scene on in special someone that they show of that particular movie. Where Anne Hathaway still has the short hair from when she did Les Miserables. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have the a, a little romantic interlude with Channing Tatum and Anne Hathaway. You know, I wonder how different the film would have been with Channing Tatum in that in that role. The, I, I don't think the character I don't think the character would have been that likable. I don't know. And and I say that because I at first I didn't have a whole lot of respect for Channing Tatum because he was in movies that I had no desire to see and I had seen some and I was like, eh, he's not doing the best job. But I wonder if that was partially the writing. Um, or if maybe he's just getting better now because I saw him in 21 Jump Street, and I thought he was great in 21 Jump Street. And I want to see 22 Jump Street because it looks just as good. And I've heard people say that it is just as good and just as funny and that he does a good job in it. So I don't know if it's I underestimated his abilities originally or he's getting better or what's going on. Right. Well, another actor that has a similar twist for me is Matthew McConaughey. I knew you were going to go there. Yeah? I knew you were going to say McConaughey. Yes, same here. Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, he, in, early in his career, he was basically known as Beefcake. Beefcake yeah. McConaughey. Right. Um, and, honestly, he could not act his way out of a paper bag in the, in the material that I saw him in early in his career. But um, I recently watched um, True Detective. Phenomenal! Oh my gosh, that was amazing, and completely changed my perspective uh-huh. on McConaughey's ability to act. Yeah, uh, a lot of people have said that. Yeah, a lot of people have said that to me. That yeah, they they did not think much of McConaughey until they saw True Detective, and then they were like, "Oh my gosh, he's phenomenal!" Yeah, and I hear the same about Dallas Buyers Club for yeah. him, and I have it out from DVD from Netflix. Uh, I haven't watched it yet. Dallas Buyers Club is another one he was in, like you just mentioned, but also Mud apparently mm-hmm. was a very good. In and the that movie was, that he I did. think that came out this year as well. Yeah. He had a great year. Yeah. Great year. So, um, so anyway, if McC- McConaughey had done this movie, that would have been an interesting selection as well because he is someone yeah. who is very much seen as that romantic icon 
in a lot of the of the movies. And this movie is almost an anti love movie movie. Yes. In a lot of ways. Well, I think it's more of a awake uh, trying to be an awakening for people to say know yourself a little bit better from a romantic perspective because if you don't you can't actually be in a, a successful relationship. Right. Um, which, you know, to people who've listened to all our podcasts, you know, we're probably going to rehash some stuff, a little bit of, of what we've talked about already and a tad bit from the Monsters review and analysis that we did and um, probably a little bit more of Roger Dodger. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, by the way, I liked Don John much better than I liked Roger Dodger. Yes, we, we all know your disdain for <laughs> Roger Dodger. Um, and I liked I liked Roger Dodger, but... Um, one other, you know, behind-the-scenes thing on this, the porn website Pornhub.com is actually featured in the film. It, yeah. And they actually provided the pornography for, the pornography clips that they had in the film for the film. So that's why they're plugged in it. And, yeah. Um, it's actually funny when the film starts, it's just like a bunch of pornography clips because Don John is, that's how he gets his fix, you know? Yeah. And, um... I was watching this with my wife because, and that's why actually the reason I chose this film because she wanted to see the film, and I don't think she knew what it was really going to be about. Yeah. Um, and she wanted to choose. She wanted to see it, so I was like, I'll just choose it. We can watch it together. And it starts with all this pornography, and she's like, I don't know if I'm going to like this film. But the funny thing is, he's watching the porn, and he's watching a bunch of clips of the same female porn star, and I was like, Oh, that's Alexis Texas. And she's like, you know, oh, of course, you know who that porn star is. And I'm like, is that a terrible thing? Maybe. Yeah, um, I, um, I watched this with my girlfriend. You know, so so we both we both did a, a great job of watching this with our significant others. Um, and and Jackie actually was really helpful with when we were watching this movie. Um, she, we had we had some pretty interesting conversations during the film and after it as well. But um, the film is set in New Jersey, and she's she's a New Jersey girl. She was able to tell me exactly where his accent was from, like what part mm-hmm. of New Jersey that it was based in, and, and you know who he was, and and um, was able to point out some of the more interesting aspects of Jersey culture that made its way into the movie that someone who like me never spent significant amount of time in Jersey wouldn't understand. And which, by the way. The accent that Joseph Gordon-Levitt maintains throughout this film, he does an outstanding job. Yeah. And just, like, embodying that character. Like, he killed it in this film. Yeah. And, but that's the thing. That, that's what he does. He doesn't like every film. He just embodies the characters so well. Yeah. Big yeah. fan. According to Jackie, um, John Martello is uh, from nor- northern Jersey, most likely Hoboken. Okay. So there you go. Hey. Sounds yeah. good. And the character of John is is really interesting. I love how he's introduced, you know, because you do you do get the opening of the porn, the 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 fast shots of Alexis Texas very quickly. But then you you get to meet him as a person and the way that he portrays his life is that he goes through a quick list of his priorities. And the interesting part about it is is that you see quick shots of each of these things that he's that he feels is very important to who he is as a person. And pornography is like the most important. Right. <laughs> well, this is the thing. You can view it in two different ways. Either the list is from bottom to top or from top to bottom. Oh, 
Um, so it's not, and in fact, I think something that's interesting is that that list actually might switch right. to, at, by the end of the movie. Um, which way you could view the perspective of what's most important to him. But you see each clip of, like, each clip of it is just like the porn that you just saw. You see one one instant out of his life that portrays that um, he loves his family. And, and I'm not giving these in the same order as he is because I can't remember it. Right. It was a little too fast. Um, his family, um, he loves his job. Uh, he loves his house, which was interesting because he is depicted as a man who likes to make sure that his house is kept neat and straightened, mm -hmm. which is um, very neat. Which comes up, which comes up as a major point later on in the movie. Yes, it does. Um, he's shown as being very much into um, the opposite sex, of course, and he's also shown as being into God and being into porn. He is a very stereotypical. Guido. Yeah, well, yes, exactly. And that's what my wife said. She was like, he's such a Guido. So the thing is, in the beginning of this film, there were things that I really hated about it, and there were things that my wife really hated about it, and they were different. Well, no, I think some of it was the same. I think we both hated the over-emphasized macho bullshit of the film in the beginning, but there's a purpose to it, and you're supposed to feel that way, yeah. which is good. Yeah. Um, she also, I think, was a little tired of... She, she didn't appreciate all the pornography, and that was kind of turning her off in the beginning. The ladies is and a thing. I, obviously, I was all, a lot more at ease with it, but I will say that at some point I was like, okay, can we move on? Can we, like, get to the, the movie? Yeah. So I do think that was kind of a shortfall of it, that they kind of could have cut down the pornography stuff a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, and honestly, honestly, I would not have watched this with my girlfriend except that she told me that she saw it in theaters. Okay, so so, so I'm like, okay, well, you know what's approved. there. So, um, and it, we know, we both know it's about someone who has a, issues with porn. So, if you're okay with watching that, then I'm okay with watching it with you. Um, I don't have any issues with porn. Yeah, so well, I'm no. just letting you know, Jordan. I don't. I'm glad to know <laughs> that, that, that that is something that I'm glad to know about you, but um. But, you know, I, it, it's something like a lot of women do have the same issues that Barbara did with with porn. Of course, Barbara's issues with porn are different than, than I think most women's problems with porn is. Um, because Barbara saw, saw that the aspect of porn was that... Well, it's like cheating. It will not. Well, I think a lot of them see a lot of women see it as cheating, but she saw it as something that she couldn't control in his life. Right, and um, she was trying to control right. everything, and she was Correct. very much trying to control his life. Yeah, so I think she needed him to be like a cookie cutter of what she expects out of right. a man. Which is interesting because when when they meet, he's a bartender. You know, he, they meet in a club. She she plays him along pretty hard. Yeah, oh yeah, um, she ropes him in, and then she's just like. Oh, you know, why don't you start taking some classes at college? Yeah. I think you can be so much better in life if you do this and that. And she just keeps trying to change him and change yeah. him. Yeah, and, and you're him. you're going to do this for me. You're going to do that for me. You're going to hold. One of the funniest scenes was when she they're at a, a princess party for it looks like one of her younger relatives, and she has this baby, um, and she just walks up and just thrusts this baby into his arms. Yeah, and he doesn't know what to do with a kid. Um, but she's like, this is who you are going to be. Right. Well, it's funny 
it is funny and it's screwed up at the same time, but in the film, what gets her horny is when she's talking about meeting his parents and him meeting her family, and then also when she's talking to him basically about like going back to school and being successful and stuff like that. Like that's what gets her horny is like the control. The control and molding him into a successful man who's going to be, you know, very high class in, in society and all this. Uh, and meanwhile, on the other side, he's more animalistic, and he's just like, what makes me horny is your body, the way you look, the way you're just, you right. know, the way you can talk to me, and, right. you know, stuff like that. So it's, this movie does a great job of very clearly showing the polar opposites that men and women can go to. Right. Well, and like I mentioned, um, the cameo with Channing Tatum and Anne Hathaway, um, they're in these movie posters in a theater that they go to. Um, and that's, um, that's something I want to talk about. One, one of the movies, the one on the left, is from the man's perspective of what a relationship is supposed to be. Um, it's called So Hard, So Fast. You know, which, which like sex. Yeah, it's exactly. Very it's sexual. Very sexual. Very. It's supposed to be, I think, kind of like a a play off of um, the the Die Hard or not the Die Hard the um, the racing franchise that Vin Diesel is in. Oh, Fast and Furious. The Fast and the Furious. Yeah. I think that's what it's supposed to be, but the subtext of sexuality is there. Yes. Um, and then and then from, well, because it's all about macho macho-ness and sexuality. Exactly. And it, honestly, I'm sorry not to screw up too much no. in what you're trying to say, but <clears throat> honestly, all of the media that's thrown directly at males is all about sexuality, too. Yeah. So it's disgusting and it keeps perpetuating it. We can talk more about that. Finish your thought, sir. The on, on the right side of the screen, you see special someone where the, the focus, instead of being very masculine, is, is portrayed as how media attracts to women and again the gender gender divide between media is huge um yes and as a former as a former professional media worker if you are not a, if you're not aware how media treats men and women and how they stereotype men and women to to create advertising and to create entertainment then you're really not looking into what's being basically force-fed to you through radio, television, print, internet, everything. And the problem is, it's usually not pushing people towards a good thing. No, no. It's usually making people worse human beings. Right. Well, and the, the, the basic, the basic, there are, there are only a few different things that advertising appeals to, or entertainment in general. Base sexual to. wants. Base sexuality, fear of others. Yep. Um, and also fear, self-loathing. That, Ooh. and also just um, a want to belong. Yes. They push that as well. Yeah. So those four, those four aspects are probably the four strongest driving forces behind media in general. And the, those all play out in this film, too. Yes. It's very prominent. And I really applaud the integration of that into the film because it makes a lot of clear references to it like they're showing a whole lot of commercials at, at different points and they're all like sexually they're based. all very yeah oh oh one of the one of them is talking about a sandwich from hardy's yeah. um where is it i wrote that down because commercial it, yeah more than a piece of meat 
that was the that was the um, the su- the uh, the slogan for this particular sandwich. Yeah. And all it's showing is this woman in a bikini, and she's like got uh, like water beating off of her skin, and she's um, holding this sandwich in a very suggestive way, like moving it up her leg, and it's by her cleavage, and you know it's by her lips as she's making like a kissing motion. Yeah. You know, it's all very very sexualized, it's very hypersexualized, and. John is sitting there at the dining room table. They've got this tradition of Sunday Sunday afternoon after church. You go, you have your your spaghetti dinner with your parents, sitting there in your in your slacks and your wife beater. <laughs> um, I loved that, by the way. I lo- I loved that aspect. It was it was yeah. hilarious. Um, but they're also watching the Jets on television. You know. Well, and if you notice, Tony Danza's character, Don John's father, is obviously supposed to be a a, a cue for he is. The typical male, he has yeah. to always watch um, TV, and that's what informs him. You know, all this media that gets fed to him right. during the breaks in sporting events. Yes, and so he's just looking at the sexuality, and he is very much a person that is just looking at the looks of women. Yeah, because that's all he comments on when he sees Don John's woman. He doesn't want to know if she's a good person or not. He no, just sees, he, he sees her, and he's like, "Yeah, buddy." Exactly. It's like. And he doesn't even know she could be like the biggest bitch in the world. Which she is, and she is. But but he doesn't care. He's just like, oh, she's hot. Great job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it Can shows you. you yeah. Your your parents also inform you of how you're going to look at males and females, right. and that you see that with Don John. You know, he's obviously in the beginning of the film been very much informed about, informed through the way his dad looks at. Them. What I loved about about how Dan Danza and Gordon Levitt played that is that they had the exact same mannerisms, the exact yeah. same way that they looked and everything. The only real difference in the way that they looked was that um, Danza had the um, the the he w- they both wore these chains with with pendants like either a crucifix or or like a saint's coin mm-hmm. on them. Uh, Danza wore his with the with the pendant tucked into his shirt. And Gordon Levitt wore his with the the pendant outside of his shirt. Okay. Um, so there's there's only that slight differentiation in their physical appearance, aside from the age difference, that really cues that there's a difference between these two people. Um, and they treat each other exactly the same way. They have this kind of relationship where um, it, it's definitely a father son relationship, but they they cuss at each other. They, yeah, they almost hit each yeah, other a few they, times. They, they nearly come to blows at some points. Um, but it, it was really interesting to see that family dynamic. And it was also interesting to see was that Danza's character seemed to be afraid of his wife. Oh yeah, to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he was very concerned about like let me just stay quiet and just watch let, you know my sports. Yeah, just let me be by myself. And then when 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 John tells them that he's broken up with Barbara, you know. The mother is heartbroken for the stereotypical reason that she wants grandchildren. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and Danza's character, the father, is just like, why are you making your mother angry? It's not like, I want you to be happy, son. I Or do you really think that breaking up with her was a good idea? Yeah. It was more about, why are you making your mother angry and therefore making my life miserable? Yep. You know. So that was an interesting aspect to the story. One of the things I wanted to touch on is that um, this is very clear in the film for me 
was it, it's it's stating that pornography is informing males in our society about what relationships should be and that is you know or at least what sex should be like you know it's very focused on the male and when people watch enough of it and they just get into the routine of thinking about that as sex and what sex can be mm -hmm. they start to want that and think that that's what it is and so it's not accurate well i mean i guess it can sex can be that way but it's not for both parties involved at that point and so the film is making that statement that porn is in, is informing don john's character of how his relationship's supposed to be, so he's supposed to get everything he wants out of pornography. But when he's watching pornography and masturbating to it, it's all about him. There's nobody else involved. There's no one else in the room. So it's him just looking at people and treating them as just objects, not knowing who they are and their feelings and what they want and what turns them on and you know all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there he's disconnected from like truly having relationships. On the other side, you have Barbara Sugarman, who she's being informed by blockbuster romance movies. Yes. And it's just as bad yeah. and well, as what pornography is doing to Don John. And this might sound a little controversial, but I have always considered like the 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 bodice ripper novels and romantic comedies to be the essential equivalent for women, that pornography is for men. And also, remember that pornography is on the rise, not just amongst men, but also amongst women. Uh -huh. A lot of women watch pornography not for the same reasons as men, but because they get the same, a, a similar visceral feel from it as right. well. So, not only is pornography um, influencing men's ideas of what women are supposed to be but it's also influencing women's ideas of what they should be um i remember one time it was very awkward um i was at a public library um i used to work in the public library system but not at the i was not working at this time i was just a patron um and uh like a 16 17 year old girl came up to me and was like there's a problem with my computer uh maybe because i was working on my laptop uh she's like can you help me get this re restarted so I go over and I help her get her computer started up again. And all along the bookmarks uh, tab, it's nothing but porn. <laughs> and it, it, it was like, it was really kind of awkward, you know, being in this situation where it's like looking at, you know, someone who you don't stereotypically think of being involved or having an interest in this kind of hypersexualized from a masculine standpoint um, product, yet is completely, you know, the, the, the type of thing that, um, from the perspective of pornography, is the one that's supposed to be subjugated. Yeah. Well, one of the things I just, like I've been talking about, really want to um, applaud the film for is showing how, you know, things in media and, and like, pornography really can and, and does influence the way mm -hmm. men think in society. And that negatively affects their ability to have relationships. And on the other side, you know, romance novels, romance movies inform women of what they think they want in relationships, and that sense sets them up for failure, too, yeah. because they have unrealistic expectations of what a relationship actually is. You know, you think about a romance film, and your typical romance film, 
the true love is effortless. Yes. There's no work ever put into actually having a wonderful, loving relationship with someone. It just happens. It just happens. It is that a miracle. That is ridiculous. Right. You know, in actuality, nobody thinks the exact same. And when you're in a relationship, you have to work things out. You have problems here and there. And it's up to you to, in, a, in the best manner you can, figure out a common ground or just agree to disagree mm -hmm. and not hold grudges. Yeah. You know, that's how you work on and have relationships. The fact that these romance novels and films are saying, you know, you're going to feel this spark and you're going to be madly in love and it'll never die and you'll never have problems and everything's wonderful. It sets people up with this unrealistic expectation so that they can't have a real relationship. They cannot because at the first sign of somebody having an argument or thinking differently or not conforming to what they want or what they view as right. a perfect relationship, they're just like, oh, well, then this isn't true love. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also, let, let, let's transition to that, to the to the scene in the store where Barbara and Joe have, John have this argument. Yeah. And the, the amazing thing is, like I mentioned earlier, John is very proud that he has his own apartment. And that he's not living yeah. with his parents. He's as he should be. He's also proud that he keeps it very clean. Yes. Because that's how he likes things. He likes things to be tight, tidy. Yeah, and tidy and whitey. No. <laughs> tidy whitey. And then he, he doesn't always want to wear his tidy whitey. No. no, no, no. Actually, no. most of the time he doesn't want it because he wants to be scorned with the ladies. Well, not scorned with the ladies, scorned with the porn. Well, yeah. He wants to, to be with women, though, but the problem is he doesn't, he can't. He has that. He has that self-involved exactly. perception about what it's supposed. He to be. doesn't yet understand that how to connect mm -hmm. with with women and how to then have complete sexual um, involvement and right. therefore fulfillment. Right. But what happens is that he and Barbara are out shopping for uh, curtain hangers um, because she has some new curtains that she wants to put up and blah, blah, blah. And he offers to do it for her because, you know, he wants to take care of her. And, um, he, he legitimately wants to make this relationship work. Um, but that's all predicated on her being hot. It is. That's it, all it, it is. is. You know, it's it shallow. Is. He doesn't understand how to have a relationship. He's only basing it on she looks good. Yeah. And, you know, I think so many men have made that, that mistake. Oh, yeah. You know, that's just the way it is. It, it, Eventually, hopefully, you learn that that's not what it's about. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of our coworkers always says, oh, she's got a great personality, which is code for I'll never touch her. Yeah, that's you know? what guys will say to a lot uh, to each other. And that's also the thing that they believe. You know, if you have a female friend who's like, I want to introduce you to something, they have a great per they yeah. have a great personality and like, that's well, code for they're not attractive she's she's got like teeth falling out and like a, an eye that's glass a glass eye and everything like that which there's not necessarily a problem with that no not not at all um but you know guys are so focused on the visual that yeah they 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 think it's a problem i indulge me on this i have a a theory that I've had for a long time in my life, and some people may really hate me for saying this, but I feel like this is a good time to air this. Um, I feel like, and I've always felt, well, not always, but it, I think it started in high school. I had felt like, I feel like all women, and I think that this should then apply to men as well, but I think it kind of already does, it, at least in my eyes. Everybody should have a glaring flaw. And if everybody has a glaring flaw then they don't think that they are the end-all, be-all. They can't, 
because they've gone through some sort of social strife or social yeah. or, or at least just being self-conscious about it so that they don't get to a point in their minds where they're for lack of a better term hot shit yeah you know they're they're better than everyone and because i feel like in the film scarlett johansson's character barbara sugarman she's been probably fed her entire life that you are amazing yeah you're phenomenal there's nothing wrong with you you are beautiful you are amazing you're everything she's a businesswoman too so she's successful don john too yeah you know he's been fed this too you know they they say in it every night he goes home with a different woman he has no problems picking women up so I feel like if everybody has, and probably the easiest way to, to, to do it is a physical flaw. Mm -hmm. If everyone's got like a lazy eye or a, um, I don't know, what else? A patchy beard that they can't grow in properly. For me, it's the fact that I can't grow a damn mustache. That's one of the things. You know, or someone's got a mole in an odd place. Yeah. Or whatever. You know, you're missing half your nose. Whatever. Don't talk about me that way. <laughs> If everybody has one of these big flaws, then we're all on equal footing. Right. And nobody's better than anyone else from a physical standpoint. Right. So when you approach someone and you engage in conversation or you start a relationship, mm -hmm. you don't have anyone being like, well, I'm perfect and I'm the best. And I do think that one of our biggest issues in society is when there are attractive people, when they're young, they're told they're attractive constantly. So that that gets ingrained in them. So they start yeah. believing that. And then as they get older, they think that they can just rely on that once to your get body, them through in yeah, life. Once your body starts failing, you're not, you're not going to have anything to rely on in terms of gaining people's respect and attention. And that's the thing. And you look at like high school dynamics and you see, you know, you got the jocks and you got the hot people and they're the people that matter then. They're the people on top of the world when you're in school. Right. But when school's out and then down the road, things start to change. And those people, as they age and they're not hot anymore, they gain a lot of weight and they don't look the same, those yeah. things start falling apart. And then you have the people who were good people, who had great personalities, who were out doing great things for other people. Those are the people that start to shine and start getting ahead. Oh, and you, you also hear the story of like the revenge of the nerds and everything like that. Mm -hmm. That's a very common that's a very common theme, especially in um, literature and, and entertainment that celebrates the underdog. A great example of the character who falls apart um, physically and then is a very bitter character is from the Back to the Future franchise with Biff. Oh yeah. Um, because you know, in high school, he's the the dude with the letter jacket. He's going around beating up on the nerds and everything like that. He has the hot girl, um, and everything is going his way. But he's shown in the later movies to be a trash man. Yeah, you know, and he's um, washing Crispin Glover's car. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he completely falls apart. You know, because all he has are his looks. High school is his is his crowning achievement in life. Well, and, and that's, everything else is downhill. And the other issue with, with that is that, you know, he was just going on everything that he was praised for when he was, you know, young. Yeah. And so he never strived to be better at anything else or to branch out and do anything else. Right. So he just kind of thought that, you know, what I'm doing now will always be and people are going to think I'm amazing for it. And then it, it, it dissipates. It goes away. Yeah. So. It completely falls apart. Um, 
we haven't really talked on about Julianne Moore's character at all. She's the catalyst, really, for Don John yeah. to start changing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when he starts changing, it's not really his fault that he's been the way he was. He just didn't know any better. Right. Well, and I think that's one of the things that I love this about this movie is that it moves from a character who you say, like you, you say at the beginning, and I agree with you, was very unlikable. Oh, yeah. You take a character who's very unlikable because he does not have what I term as self-awareness. Um, and I think this is a big flaw with a lot of people is that they don't realize that who they are ha- it, like has an impact on people around them. You know, so like you said, he treats people like he treats women especially like pieces of meat. He 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 commonly uses the the pickup artist rating scale to say, "Oh yeah, that one's a 7, that one's an 8, that one's a 9." That one's a three. Uh, in terms of that scale, if Scarlett Johansson is a ten, um, my, uh, Jackie and I were talking about it, then Julianne Moore's character on his pickup artist scale would have been a three. Yeah. He, he would have not cared for her at all. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing is that she's the type he would never go for. Right. But she's there, mm-hmm. and she's always there, and she's a good person. She's a nice person. And when he's done with Barbara eventually she's there out of convenience and he's just like yeah i mean i'll get with her so he does that but then he starts to kind of know her more as a person and that's when his kind of awakening happens he for the first time is able to understand a person he takes time to understand who she is and what makes her tick and what matters to her yeah and she does the same with him and through him being able to open up to her and him being able to listen and be willing to listen to her and internalize her feelings and her thoughts, they have the most amazing sex he's ever yeah. had in his life because he's allowed at that point himself to entwine, not only just physically but emotionally yeah. and just as humans, just to entwine himself in the other person. Yeah. And that makes for meaningful sex yeah. when as when he was, you know, having sex with Barbara Sugarman, it's just like masturbating, really, to pornography. Mm-hmm. Because you're just fo- he was just focusing on himself and just like, okay, when can I get my rocks off? Oh, here, I'm getting my rocks off. And I guarantee during his sex with Barbara, he, hadn't, he, he wasn't even thinking about her, really. Right. Like, what is she thinking about? What's turning her on? Right. And so... Right. Well, and also the thing that, that I kind of... I thought was funny was that the way that they gain common ground is that she catches Julianne Moore's character catches him watching porn on his phone uh, yeah. during class you know he's like he's got a porn hub up and he's enjoying the video and everything like that and she comes up and she's like hey no judgment but are you uh, are you watching porn on your phone yeah. <laughs> and he's like what no that's sick only sick people do that I think she just likes to call people out yeah. to make them uncomfortable yeah, 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 which yeah. is a fun aspect of her oh, character yeah. but then but then she actually brings that around to common ground by coming up to him later on and saying, here, I've got something for you. Um, gives him a, a present, and it's one of her favorite porn movies. <laughs> you know, and, and so she's like, look, we've got this in common. We can, we can have, like, a, a bit of a conversation. And so because of that, he starts opening up to her about how, um, how his relationship with Barbara is really not going well. Um, and she starts showing, telling him, you know... 
she starts showing him how to open up to somebody. Yeah. And um, the like the best scene in the entire movie is when he goes to her house. Um, and yeah. he and they're they're just talking about you know their relationships and everything, and um, she doesn't share a lot about who she is at at that point, um, but for some reason you know she just is like well why don't we just take a bath, and he's like what, and she's like trust me it'll be fine, so he goes he 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 takes a bath. And she's like, let me go get you a towel. And then she just completely breaks down. You yeah. find out that her husband and son were both killed in an accident about a year and a half ago. And so she's still very emotionally raw and doesn't know how to open up to people um, because she's still trying to come to grips with these very strong emotions that she's feeling. And the interesting thing is you can see in her character that she's treating John, Don John as her husband and her son at yes. the same time. He's very much this is one of the things. Their relationship probably is not healthy for her because she's treating him as a surrogate for both of those. Yes, exactly. Um but amazingly enough, it is it is the most healthy relationship that that John has actually been in. Yeah. Um well, and it's a pivotal point in his yeah. life to better him as a person so that he can understand how to make others happy, but most importantly, how to make himself happy. And, you know, we've talked about it on the podcast before. If you don't know yourself truly and you you don't take the time to understand what your wants and needs truly are, then you can't do the same for another person and therefore you can't really have a successful relationship. Because if you're going into a relationship and you just don't know or don't care much about another person, you're just dealing all on the surface. Yeah. Um, it's going to fail or it's or you're going to keep it together but you're not going to be happy. No one's going to be happy with that. I mean, just think about relationships of just friendships, right. from, for, for example. When you meet someone and you just have a few conversations with them and they're just more like an acquaintance, mm-hmm. you don't really know that person too well. Right. So you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, I know that person. I had a good conversation with them. They're cool. They're nice. They're good. That's not the kind of person you want to start a relationship with. But if you have a friend who's a deep friend, you've yeah. had deep philosophical que- uh, conversations with that person, you guys have shared a lot of personal stories. I, you know, I'd say Jordan and myself, we're very much that way. Yeah. Um, I said to Jordan at one point, I'm like, I look at you as like a legitimate brother. Yeah. You know, like there's that meaningful, true level yeah. on the friendship level yeah. of someone that you legit care about. So when you think about these acquaintances versus the people who, you know, you've had so much more with and you opened up to them and they opened up to you and you understand each other, you know, you look at the ability to have relationships and what's more fulfilling. And you can apply that to, you know, your romantic relationships. It's the exact same thing. If you have a person that you're just going to have a few conversations with and you're not going to take time to truly understand what makes them tick or what their issues are and help them deal with that stuff then you're going to have a just a you know very on the surface non-complicated you can't be in love with the person type of relationship but if you do the opposite and you're totally in it yeah. you can have a very meaningful very entwined relationship that most likely will have a better sex life yeah. involved well and one one of the things uh, i found i i had written down her name but i just now found it um Julianne's more character's name is 
Esther, uh, Esther. something. Yeah. I don't know her last but name. At one point, Esther asks him, why, why do you like porn so much? And he tells her, it's because I lose myself in it. You know, and, and that's something that he's looking for. Is he's looking to pour his life into somebody else's. Even though he doesn't realize it at first because he doesn't have the emotional vocabulary to handle that kind of thing. Um, he, he does find that with her. At the very end of the movie... Um, and I love the end of the movie um, for, for a lot of reasons. But one of the things that I love that he describes is that um, he says that his relationship with Esther is two-sided. Meaning that he's able to put, put as much effort into her, the relationship with her on an emotional level as he is on a, as on a physical level. And she's doing the same thing to, for him as well. Yeah. You know, they're really connecting as people, not just as sex objects. Yeah. And they're putting a lot of work. Each yes. of them is putting a lot of work into the relationship, which goes back to, you know, when I was talking about you can't just have an effortless relationship because, I mean, that's what, what Barbara and, and, and Don John were doing. Yeah. Like, they're, they were ha trying to have an effortless relationship that way. You know, they weren't delving into who each other were and what they needed and wanted and understanding. So that was... That was the issue there. Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to point out, because I was talking about, you know, women in the film being informed by the romance films. Um, at one point, we're in uh, Barbara's room, and there's a big Titanic poster. Yes. That is obviously there intentionally. Yes. And is kind of like signaling the quintessential romantic Hollywood story that's a that movie is a huge touchstone for for um romantic relationships for people who are our age um because like i, I was about what 15 or 16 when titanic came out i was so i was i was a younger guy but that was the movie that all the couples were going to see you know oh yeah because guys wanted to see kate Win winslet's boobs and girls wanted the fantastic relationship yeah. um they wanted the story of the guy who was willing to die for the girl. Although, I haven't seen the movie, but from what I understand, um, his death in the movie is pretty pointless at the end. Um, we all knew it was going to happen. I mean, it's right. Titanic. It's a Titanic. I mean, it's a Titanic, the, the, damn it. The, the, um, the actual ending of the movie is kind of telegraphed to you there. I will also say, it, um, it was funny that in the beginning you brought up uh, the film Clerks. Yeah. Because I was going to make a reference to... Um, Kevin Smith's films at this point, which is the uh, sister of Don John in it. She's like Silent, Silent Bob she is. in all of his films. Yeah. She says nothing for the entire film and you see her plenty just messing around on her phone and then she makes a very important comment. Yeah, And that's what actually led me to the Clerks reference was because that character she's on screen a lot um, but she's never seen interacting with anybody, most likely because her parents' relationship is so messed up that she doesn't want any part of that. Right. And well, and she is viewing her brother the same way yeah. as she's viewing her parents until she sees that he's changing his yeah. view on things. Yeah. And that's when she speaks up. And, and, and it's, it's like it was this perfect thing because it was right at the very end of the movie where where he's come out and finally told his parents. Because he doesn't tell his parents for a long time that him and Barbara have broken up. Mm -hmm. But then his sister gives him this this encouragement and advice that actually encourage, like gives him the impetus 
to to meet with Barbara one last time and explain to her, look, you're not who I thought you were. I'm not who I was at that time. We're just closing this off right now. Yeah, and I don't... I mean, obviously, Barbara didn't appreciate it. No. For what it was supposed to be. I think he thought that she... She would appreciate that he's he thought as a person. He thought... I think he thought she might. I think he probably went into it thinking it could have gone 50-50. Yeah. But he was doing it for him. Yeah. To just kind of, like, really get closure on it and be like, look... I think it was also kind of like a get back at her in a sense yeah. to be like, look, I'm a better person and now you can't be with me, so. Yeah, but I think I think that that it showed a lot of maturity though that he was willing to at least extend the 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 olive branch of them, you know, sitting down and and, and saying, look, yeah, you know, the, the I I I was a total piece of trash when we were in a relationship together, um, and I wanted to just say I'm sorry for that. Yeah, and he was like, we were both terrible people, and, you know, I want to let you know that I'm not mad. So, you know, yeah. whatever. We're, we're just, we're cool. Um, one of the cool things to me, you see throughout the film, he keeps going to the gym. That's one of his routines. And you always see him walking down this hallway to go to the gym, and he's working out. Yeah. At the end, he's walking down the hallway, he stops, and instead of going into the gym portion, he walks into the, the little auditorium area where people are playing basketball, and he starts interacting. Yeah. So his whole life throughout the film is individualized, except when he's hanging out with like his two friends. Mm-hmm. But even then, they don't talk about anything meaningful, if you notice. It's always surface area stuff of like, oh, that chick's a 10, that chick's yeah. an 8, like whatever, or oh, I'm going to bone this chick. It's And guys do that a lot, honestly. Oh, yeah. But it's when you start caring and interacting with people and opening yourself up is when you have the better relationships romantically and just on a friend level. Yeah. And I think this film is showing both of those. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and and um, it, it does such a great job of taking a character who is a really not likable character at the very beginning of the film and just really moves it into a... moves him into a very strong position um, that... I, this is what I was looking for in Roger Dodger. Okay. You know, is a character who saw that he was an unlikable character at the beginning, and then the events of the movie changed his life in a way where he could interact with people on a more healthy level. Yeah. Um, and so, so this movie gave me a lot more satisfaction. Um, but it also, you know, I thought it was really great because uh, at the end of the movie, it mirrors the beginning of the movie because him and Esther are making love, and it shows them looking at each other, interacting with each other, touching each other in a very real two-way street type of way that but it's edited together in the exact same way that the porn clips are at the very beginning of the movie. Show so it shows how he leaves that one-sidedness and he's able to open himself up as a person. Yep. You know, really well. And and just that symmetry at, from the beginning of the movie and, and then the end of the story is just something that's really, to me, uplifting because you see how much he's grown and how much now he can care for other people. And like you said, uh, him him branching off into the hallway and going to play basketball with each with other people rather than just going to the gym and, do, and making his confession. You know, well, not making his confession, but making his penance because the priests always assign him 
like 25 Hail Marys and, and certain prayers to absolve himself of the sins. Which is another good thing in the film about how he assigns how many Hail Marys and all that stuff. And he questions it at the end and yeah. is basically like, what differentiates this? Right. And well, there's no answer given to that. So he's basically saying, you know, you know, my life has so much more meaning in it now, yeah. and I did something that I'm confessing about. Yet, why are you why are you treating me the same way? Yeah, it seems like there's absolutely no recognition of me being a better person. Right. Well, the, because the reason is, and and this is something I kind of felt the same way as you did, but but Jackie pointed this out to me, is he confessed to something even greater than committing the sin of adultery and, and, and the sin of looking at porn in confessing that he had actually lied to a priest for several months. Oh, okay. Because... I guess that could... Yeah, that could make sense. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and the priest is not... The, the, the priest is not going to out and out say, we're doing this because you lied to me or you lied to another priest about this. He's going to try and let him come to that conclusion himself. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there, that on-the-surface thing does absolutely make sense with what you're saying yeah. but I, Jackie was able to give me that insight that I thought was really interesting as well I could see that yeah it's a good point good point Jackie good job good job alright are we ready to give the uh, overalls I think so um, when we did our review of Norwegian Ninja we talked a lot about how the film was lacking in story but had a lot of great technical aspects to it um I felt this movie had a lot of great technical aspects to it. I thought it was very interesting how the camera never stopped moving. Mm -hmm. it, was, um, it was a very slight shaky cam that really kind of gave a jittery feel to it that was not overstated, but gave you a sense that the character is always a little bit on edge. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that was really well done. The, the script was fantastic, and when you have when you have Christopher Nolan being your script do doctor, that that's going to be that, that's going to be how it turns out. Right. Um, uh, all of the acting was amazing. Uh, I, I do want to point out that Scarlett Johansson's acting was phenomenal. Yes, yeah, she did a great job because she's an actress that both of us both of us appreciate. Definitely. Um, in more ways than one. Right. And but she was able to create a character that both of us disliked. Yeah. You know, and when when That's an, a big deal. When, when an you actor you that. like and this is kind of vice versa, when an actor you like can do something that you dislike yep. or an actor you dislike can do something that you appreciate, then that's that really shows the depth of their ability at their craft. I've always said from like a writing and a filmmaking perspective that and acting, if you can create something that makes somebody feel something they don't want to feel you have done an amazing job mm -hmm. yeah so because of because of all that and of course all the reasons that we've discussed with the strengths of the story and the way that it, it came together in such an interesting way i'm going to go ahead and give this three and a half stars okay um this film obviously for me was quite interesting at first i thought it was going to be one thing but it does a good job of throwing a turn in there and being like nope this is going to be a lot more interesting it's going to have a point to it um like we said the acting is really good um the directing was well done this is a perfect example of someone who wants to go out and direct and write something and they took their time with the script they went to other people about the script instead of just being like this is what it's going to be and let's just do it mm -hmm. um 
I guarantee he took a lot of people's ideas on, you know, do you think this is good or is this not good? What should I tweak? So it was pretty tightly done. It's not like the the most amazing film I've seen, but I really did appreciate a lot of stuff. I do like that for me, the overall tone of the film, the overall idea of it is that um, what you think you want isn't necessarily what you need. In fact, what you think you want is probably not what you actually need in life. Um, so it was a very socially conscious film that I think is important for people to understand what's in it, and hopefully it reached people who watched it. Yeah. Because I think that's a great message to send out there because it can really enrich a lot of lives. Yeah. And can really help out as a society, you know, at it, humanity in general. You know, if we all understand these kinds of principles more, you know, like we were saying, it, it doesn't just apply to romantic relationships. It applies to just all relationships with, with other human beings. Mm-hmm. So... One thing that I do... Oh, I'm sorry. So I should probably yeah, give your, it a star your rating, rating. Your, your rating would be important. Duh. Yeah. Um, at three and a half as well, actually. Awesome. So three and a half overall for the podcast. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's very good for for this podcast. Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to point out um, that, I, I, that I, I forgot before was that the ending of the film really sneaks up on you. Yeah, it does. It really did. I, I wasn't expecting to, for it to end where it did, but it, it, it left you with a good sense of resolution, but also yep. with... Uh, a sense that uh, you 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 would be interested in seeing where these characters go further on in their lives. True, and I would be interested in seeing what uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt writes and directs next. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that pretty much puts a ribbon on it. So we'll go ahead and uh, close off there. Thank you so much for listening. I, I we hope that you're getting as much out of these reviews as we get watching these movies and uh, coming up with them and then discussing discussing the films afterwards uh this has been a real treat i hope you have a great week and please feel free to contact us either by our website email uh facebook twitter however you want to do it thanks very much you've been listening to carlin and jordan's most excellent movie night our theme music was provided by sweet wave audio to find more royalty free music for your own projects check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk and special thanks to ariana ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to other episodes give us your opinion and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed you can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight at gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air. Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life. For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night, where movies are most excellent. This has been a Nerd Circle Podcast Production. <laughs>